Welcome to the Open Door Church podcast. Our prayer is that you will be encountered and encouraged by the Holy Spirit and challenged by the word of the Lord. May the Lord bless you and stir faith as you listen to this week's message. Two weeks ago, guys, I preached a message on walking in the spirit and crucifying the flesh. Um, And uh, I really outlined some simple Um, practical ways that we can do this in everyday life. I know that they were revolutionary, they were profound, that you had never heard or thought of doing these things before, Um, but uh, (laughs) that was a joke. Um, I talked about how we need to constantly be reading the Word, being engaged with the Bible, how worship, giving, praying, and fasting are tangible ways to live out what Jesus instructed us to do in Luke chapter 9, verse 23. It's kind of been maybe somewhat of a mantra, somewhat of a theme throughout our messaging these last few weeks. And so Luke 9, 23 says this, then he said to them all, the saying Jesus, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow follow me. How many of us want to follow Jesus today? Right? Amen. Okay, I'm glad that half of us, at least, want to follow Jesus. My, my prayer is that every single one of you would answer yes to that question, that your desire is to follow Jesus. But to follow Jesus requires the daily commitment to deny oneself, to take up one's cross, to die to our own will, to exchange our wants, our passions, our desires for his wants, for his passion, for his desire, right? To take up our cross is a symbol uh, of dying, and it says that we're to do that daily to follow Jesus. You cannot live for yourself and God simultaneously. don't know if you guys understood that or if you knew that or if maybe that wasn't disclosed to you when you signed up for this Jesus thing, but it is impossible. It's an impossibility. It's a contradiction for you to live to fulfill yourself and the desires of God at the same time. Now, I believe that God is good and I believe he can change our passions. He can change our desires to be in alignment with him. But there is the real reality That if we're going to follow Jesus, and we're going to follow Jesus well, and we're going to follow him closely, that we'll have to deny ourselves to take up our cross and follow Jesus. And so I I outlined those those simple things. They're, They're simple practices. Those are things that we've probably learned all of our lives if we grew up in church. If, if you're new to them, they're, they're basic disciplines of being a Christian. But what they do is they help us walk in the spirit. They help us deny ourselves, and they help us crucify the flesh. Right? We talked about having a foundation in the word of God. We talked about living a life of worship. We talked about giving. We talked about praying. We talked about fasting all out of Matthew chapter 6. That really outlines some tangible ways for us to do that. But one of the things I said, I kind of concluded that teaching with. It wasn't necessarily a point, but it was just a, it was a thought that was going to lead into this week's teaching was that you're far more likely to do those things. You're far more likely to pray. You're far more likely to give. You're far more likely to worship, to be in the word, to fast in the context of community. 
There is, there is a necessity in the Christian walk for community. And uh, I, I, I like this. I wrote this um, earlier this week, and it says that the simple reality is that genuine Christianity, to truly follow Jesus, one cannot exist in isolation. And so I want to talk today about the need for holy provocation the necessity for community. You see, following Jesus doesn't just happen by accident. It requires intentionality in the same way that a, a professional athlete or an NFL quarterback or insert any kind of Olympic kind of person that you might think of, they don't just get to where they are uh, by happenstance, right? They don't, you don't, you don't like achieve a, an elite level of athleticism just by kind of casually going to the gym, right? And we don't reach spiritual maturity in following Jesus just by kind of halfway being involved with church or, you know, checking the box on Facebook or something like that. There has to be a real intentionality behind following Jesus. And I believe that the only way to sustain that, the only way we see longevity uh, of seeing lasting effects of that is being engaged in the body of Christ, of being connected together in community, of being involved in one another's lives. And so uh, this last week, I had the privilege, the opportunity of spending uh, time together with a good friend, Daniel. McLean, many of you guys know him. He was a pastor here at this church for like three years, I think. And I guess it was two years ago, three years ago, that he decided that he needed to kind of shift directions. He got married last year. He's uh, living in Oregon, still fervently serving Jesus and following the Lord and doing ministry. Um, and needless to say, he's a good friend of mine. He's a, we were roommates in Bible school together. And uh, we, we've had a long-lasting friendship. And my wife had this brilliant idea um, that I should go and spend some time with someone that would encourage me. We had these expiring airline miles, these flights that, they, they weren't miles, they, we had flight credit that was going to expire at the end of this year if we didn't use it. And uh, so we were able to, Adam got to come with us actually for a few days where the three of us got together just to kind of encourage one another, spend time with one another. And uh, it, it was so beneficial. I can't even begin to express some of the things that the Lord did just with friendship. And I, I don't want to diminish the value of friendship this morning. I think it's something that we kind of neglect, especially as we get a little older, we get a little more jaded, right? Friendship gets... Uh, being friends is just hard, <laughs> uh, especially when you're far away from one another and, you know, you're not in the same spheres of, of life anymore and things are just kind of different. Friendship can be hard to maintain, uh, especially like I feel like once, once I hit 30, it was just like making friends is hard. <laughs> Keeping friends is really hard. Um, but I do believe that uh, it is a biblical value and a gift of God. And if you have friends that will provoke you to love Jesus more, cherish and guard those friendships, friends. I just called you friends. You can get, yeah, anyway, um, so good. I, I, but I, I am privileged with some phenomenal friends. 
um, of people that are still chasing and hungry after Jesus. Um, I love the fact that Daniel asked, well, what do you want to do when you and Adam get here? What, 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 what do you want to do? Do you want to go hiking? Do you want to go hang out in Portland? What, what are we going to do when we get here? And, you know, the simple answer was, man, we, the most encouraging thing, the only thing that I care that we leave about doing is, man, could we just pray for one another? Could we get together and just pray? And, and, you know, I thought maybe, like, we, we might spend a night praying, but this joker gathers together the group that he's with, and he calls people. It's like, hey, man, we're going to get up at, like, 5 a.m. We're going to go to the church. We're going to unlock the church, and we're just going to spend two hours in prayer together. And I'm like, yes, I need more friends like this. <laughs> I love this. And uh, um, there, there's just something about friendship like that that provokes spiritual hunger that provokes me to want to love Jesus more. That's why I love hanging out with Adam. That's why I love hanging out with Daniel. That's why I, I love having conversations about the Lord like I do when Joey and I go fishing or Braden and I, we go fishing because there's something about community that really provokes me to want to love Jesus more. And I want to I encourage you guys uh, that these are relationships that we need to invest in. And you might be sitting here throughout the context of this message thinking, you know, I don't really have a lot of relationships like this in my life. I don't really have a lot of friends in my life that are, that are pressing me to love Jesus more. In fact, uh, you might be sitting here thinking, you know what, I feel like I'm the only one in, in all of my relationships and all of my friendships that are really pushing people to chase after the Lord. I, I want maybe this to serve as a warning sign that, that, that there has to be in your life, there has to be in the context of the church relationships that are going to push us to chase after Jesus. So while we were, we were hanging out this last week, we got to go to Hawaii. It was awesome. We, we backpacked across uh, a two of the islands and uh, spent a lot of time in these national parks and did a lot of hiking and we stayed in a, in, uh, a couple of these like hostels which were uh, really, really interesting. <laughs> um, I have learned that I have grown privileged to sharing like a room with my family and my wife and like a comfortable bed and uh, realized I'm not... Uh, I'm not as adventurous as I was like 10 years ago when <laughs> we would just sleep on a floor and it didn't matter if it was like super dirty or not or any, I, I guess I've grown weak. Um, <laughs> but we had this experience and our conversations were filled just with all kinds of things that the Lord has done or that he's been doing and uh, encouraging times in the presence of the Lord as we would listen to sermons together, as we pray for one another and just a really rich time, but uh, our conversation was stirred by the fact that we're both chasing after Jesus still. You know, we're 15 years into this thing, we're, uh, and we're still fervently chasing after the Lord. And we, we, we started recounting, we have friends that are in ministry. One of my friends was going to be here this morning, but his little boy got sick. His name's Tony, he's been here, uh, but they were here on vacation. He's one of those ones that uh, chased after Jesus together with us when we first started serving the Lord, and he's still fervently, passionately chasing after the Lord. 
We, we are accounted this sense of encouragement of just those that have been following Jesus and chasing after him, but uh, naturally the conversation uh, took a discouraging route as well as we thought of all those that are not chasing after Jesus anymore. And unfortunately, we, we, had, more, we had more friends of ours that have stopped following the Lord than we do that still are of those same people that were in the same ministry school as us, that were in the same sermons and the same services as us. We had the same experiences. We, we saw the same miracles. We saw God do the same things that are not following Jesus anymore. They're not chasing hard after him. They're either apathetic to the things of God or they're completely running the opposite direction and, and hate God entirely. And it's this heartbreaking thing. I know that many of you can probably, uh, your mind probably is racing about friends and relatives and those that you know that are not serving Jesus today. And I hope that it breaks your heart because I know that it breaks his. And so my prayer as I was coming together to write this message essentially came from a place of brokenness. Of God, how do we keep from being like that? question that Daniel and I kept asking ourselves and kept asking each other this, this trip. It was kind of a re reoccurring question as we were kind of going through the people that we, we were just shocked that they weren't chasing hard after Jesus anymore. It says, how do we not wind up like that? How, 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 do, how, how do we not become the person that somebody else is talking about? How do, how do we not wind up in that position? Because we want to stay tender. We want to stay close to the Lord. I think we find some answers in Hebrews chapter 10. So if you guys would turn with me to the word of the Lord this morning. Hebrews 10 is one of my favorite chapters in, uh, in the Bible. I say uh, favorite, and it's not necessarily that it makes me feel the best. It's a, it's a hard, it's a somber, it's, a, it's, a, it, it's, some, it's some heavy hitting that the author of Hebrews does here in chapter 10. It's intense. Guys, the tone uh, uh, of what the author is, is writing here is one of utmost seriousness, guys. I, I want to read this. Just I'm going to read uh, verse 26 uh, in Hebrews chapter 10 uh, through 29. It says this, dear friends, if we deliberately continue sinning after we have received knowledge of the truth, there is no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. There is only the terrible expectation of God's judgment and the raging fire that will consume his enemies. For anyone who refused to obey the law of Moses was put to death without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Just think how much worse the punishment will be for those who have trampled on the Son of God and have treated the blood of the covenant which made us holy as if it were common and unholy and have insulted and disdained the Holy Spirit who brings God's mercy to us. He'd go on to kind of uh, to take this, this thought even further and it says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. This is, this is the context of what we're going to talk about today. These are the verses directly preceding our main passage this morning. I'm sharing them because I want to highlight the severity of what we're dealing with today. How do we not wind up 
here? How do we wind up not deliberately sinning and trampling underfoot the grace of God? How do we wind up, uh, how do we not wind up here uh, of, uh, of profaning God's name? How do we not wind up uh, treating the blood of the covenant as it was something that was common and unholy? How do we not insult and disdain the Holy Spirit who brings God's mercy to us? I really want us to feel the weight and the severity because that's heavy language, is it not? That's not like, amen, brother, preach it. Woo! That makes me feel really good. These are the kind of things that I think about, like the, the people on the street corner with like signs that are yelling in megaphones, like turn or burn. This is bad news, right? This is not happy, comforting language. And it's not supposed to be. It should startle you. It should grab hold of your very spirit and make you, make, make, make you tremble and fear and awe and majesty at a holy God. So how do we not wind up there? I want to look at verses 19 through 25. These are, this is actually, these are the verses directly preceding this kind of Intense, heavy language. The author of Hebrews begins in verse 19, says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us, through the veil, that is, his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Verse 19 begins with, this, begins with this word, therefore, meaning in light of. In light of what? The first 18 chapters of the book of Hebrews talk about what Jesus did. The first 18 verses, not chapters, of the first 18 verses of this chapter talk about what exactly it was that Jesus did. What he did on the cross, the sacrifice that he made. This is what Adam referenced last week when he was talking about Numbers chapter 21. When we were looking, at, uh, when we were looking uh, in John chapter 3, uh, we looked at this last week, the sacrifice that Jesus made. Right? We, look at, we look at Jesus high and lifted up. We look at the crucified Messiah, the one that sacrificed himself for us, for our freedom. And what we see here is that the rest, verses 19 through 25, all hinge on this word, therefore, this in light of. And so I want us to have, as we read these next few verses, I call them the lettuces of Hebrews. Different set of lettuce. Get it? Because it's all lettuce, lettuce, lettuce. So now when you think of lettuce, you can think of the lettuces of, of Hebrews. But verse 19, I really believe, frames everything 
that, that we're talking about today in light of the cross, in light of what Jesus did. And because Jesus died for us, because he was the perfect sacrifice, there are things that are expected of us because of his sacrifice. And so what we're talking about here is the separation between man and God being forever removed through Jesus' sacrifice. That's what we read about in verses 19 uh, through 22, really. Uh, 19 through 21. Therefore, brethren, having boldness, we're to have boldness to enter the holiest place. We're talking, you might hear this referred to as the holy of holies by the blood of Jesus. Now in the Old Testament, underneath the Old Covenant, the high priest was allowed to enter in to the Holy of Holies one time a year on the Day of Atonement, which he would enter and he'd pass through this curtain, this veil, that, uh, that he would pass through into the holiest of places where God's presence abided and where he would, he would make a sacrifice for the atonement of sin for all of the people. And he would do so with trembling, with fear. Uh, tradition would say that they would tie a rope around the priest as he would walk in because he understood that if he neglected to fulfill even one item of the law, if he, if he, if he neglected, if he walked in with any kind of impurity or in sin, that he would actually die in the presence of a holy God. And so I've heard things and I've read things and, uh, about them tying a, uh, they, they would have bells on the priest and they would tie a rope around him. If they heard the bells stop shaking, they knew that the priest had died and they'd drag him out. All of this is rabbinic tradition there. But the reality of it is it was a terrifying thing that was only privileged for the high priest to do, not the common people. Not you or I, not even the regular Sadducees or Pharisees or anything like that. It was reserved strictly for the high priest. But the first 18 verses of this chapter really explain about how Jesus is the perfect sacrifice. He's our perfect high priest who gave himself. And what we read here in, uh, in verses 20, we see that there is a new and living way by which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh and having a high priest over the house of God. So we see this talking about Jesus. There's an analogy made here about the veil being Jesus's body. And so we understand um, Matthew 27 verse 51, when Jesus died on the cross, talking about his crucifixion, it says that behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom and the earth quaked and the rocks were split. This happened at the time of Jesus' crucifixion. And what happened there, friends, was that separation between God and man was forever removed through what Jesus did on the cross. And the analogy that the author of Hebrews makes here is that Jesus' body was torn says that his flesh was torn just as the veil was torn for us to have right relationship with God once again. That promise is that there is no longer separation between God and man if we are in Christ Jesus. And that is a beautiful, miraculous promise. But he's saying in light of that, because of this, those first verses, uh, verses 18 and 19, that are 19 and 20 and 21 that we read there. 
he's saying, let us draw near, right? Let us draw near. Uh, I want to share this verse, uh, not this verse, but it's a quote from Charles Spurgeon. He says this, for believers, the veil is not rolled up, but rent. The veil was not unhooked and carefully folded up and put away so that it might be put in its place at some future time. Oh no, but the divine hand took it and rent it from top to bottom. It can never be hung up again. That is impossible. Between those who are in Christ Jesus and the great God, there will never be another separation. And I love that beautiful promise and the, the imagery there uh, of a real event that happened where the, the curtain was torn from top to bottom. It wasn't torn from bottom to top because man couldn't do it. It was something that only God had the power and the privilege to do. And he did it so that we could be with him where he is. And so in light of this, my first point is, in light of Jesus' sacrifice, let us draw near to God. Verse 22, Hebrews chapter 10. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So in light of the separation between God and man being removed, we ought to come with boldness into his presence. Because we're coming to God, not on behalf of our own merit, but on behalf of his. It's not something that we conjured up. It's not something that we necessarily had a part in. It's something that he did for us. And I believe this, that he paid too high of a price for us to stay at a distance. We have a command here. To draw near to God. And the promise that we, re we receive from James is that if we draw near to him, he would draw near to us. One of the things that was happening in the church in the book of Hebrews uh, of Jewish Christians that were facing immense persecution at the time, they were growing discouraged. In fact, they wanted to stop gathering as a congregation. They wanted to stop gathering in fellowship with one another because every time they would gather, they would be persecuted. And the hand of persecution seemed to be getting stronger. But what the author of Hebrews is saying here, now is not the time to give in to discouragement. Not is not the time to just kind of fade away, but with intentionality, draw near to God. When we use language like draw near to God, it speaks of intentionality, friends. It's not something that happens on accident. Too many people are, are out there just seemingly trying to find God and hoping that it would just happen on accident. And if it doesn't happen spontaneously, if it doesn't happen super, if it doesn't happen just in the natural context of everyday life, then it's not, it can't be God. Or it's not spiritual enough. But friends, I do strongly believe at a core conviction of my soul that we need to have intentionality when we come before the Lord. When we come into his presence, that we would intentionally take steps to draw near. You want God to show up and move in your life, but you don't crack open your Bible. You want God to move in your life and you want to see him move in your marriage and you want to see him move in the lives of your kids, but you don't spend time in prayer. How foolish of a notion is that? 
Right? Isn't that what they call the definition of insanity? You want things to change, but you keep doing the same thing over and over again? Friends, I want to encourage you. You should draw near to the Lord. Be intentional about your relationship with him. we got to do away with this casual coming to Jesus nonsense. Jesus is not your homeboy. He's not just your friend. I believe he is a friend, but that's not all he is. Let's be intentional about drawing near to God. When we come into services like this, when we come into the congregation to worship and sing, I hope there's an expectation in your bones that God is here. Let us draw near to the Lord. The second lettuce that I want to highlight in Hebrews chapter 10. And remember, this is all in light of Jesus' sacrifice. Let us hold fast to the truth. If I'm being honest, this was the verse that I had in mind that I was praying over when Daniel and I were having these conversations, when we were grieving over friends that are not serving Jesus anymore, when we were, when we were thinking back, back on past experiences of all of those, all of those people that we, we once had such great relationship with, and, and they're, not, they're not in the fellowship of the saints, and, and we were broken. This is the verse that was stirred up in my spirit to preach on this morning. This, this admonishment, admonishment in Scripture to let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Guys, I, I got saved in the middle of a, a punk rock phase in high school. And I was really into the, the hardcore metal music scene. And... Uh, I was really into tattoos, and I thought they were really cool, but I didn't have money for tattoos, and so Adam talked me into getting uh, cheap half-off tattoos at the Pueblo Mall. It was great. We live, we learn, uh, we learn from our mistakes. Uh, <laughs> but I remember, I remember going to hardcore shows all the time, and uh, <laughs> there, was, uh, uh, there was this one guy that had hold fast tattooed on his knuckles. And I guess it's kind of a generic thing uh, in the hardcore scene. It's kind of like the, the thing that you do is go get hold fast tattooed on your knuckles. And it, it actually goes back to nautical days of, uh, of sailors that would get hold fast tattooed on your knuckles, evidently. I was, I was looking into this. I, I was trying to figure out, like, why, why would you get that tattooed on your knuckles? Like, what, what is that? And I don't know why my friends are laughing at me on the front row. I, I hope there isn't something that I'm missing here. <laughs> but, but the language here, the hold fast would come, uh, it, was, it was a nautical term. When, when you would make fast a line, if you were raising a sail, if you were lowering a sail, it was to keep something tight. And uh, it meant to hold on firmly. And so it just be, kind of became common language uh, in the nautical sphere to, to use this terminology of holding fast, to hold tightly onto, uh, to remain tightly secured to, is where this language comes from. And so sorry that I shared a whole uh, 
anecdote about tattoos there, but I, I wanted to use like a sermon graphic or something for my message this morning. And if you type in hold fast onto Google Images, you'll just get a bunch of guys with tattooed knuckles that say hold fast, uh, which was supposed to be encouragement to hold on or hold on tightly. But we see this, and, and with that in mind, this language to hold on firmly, to be securely tightened and anchored into the confession of our hope without wavering. This language is strong, friends. And I, I think this is where I get, I, I really get a problem with kind of this modern rise of deconstruction that has become popularized. I don't know if you guys have heard this language being used. Maybe you have friends that have done this. And it's, it's mostly tried to be spun in a positive light where we're trying to deconstruct our religion. We're trying to deconstruct our faith and examine things from a different point of view. Um, and it's where we allow doubt to kind of flood in and really examine what we believe to make sure we actually believe it. And friends, I'm all for serious critique of our faith. I'm all for submitting our doubts before the Lord. I'm all for, for making sure that we have a biblical version of Christianity. But so many of the people that I know that have deconstructed, they have abandoned orthodoxy altogether. And what we see is there's no longer this holding firm, holding fast the confession of our hope without wavering. But we invite doubt in rather. We invite questioning in, and it's not questioning uh, 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 of, of whether or not what we're doing is biblical, whether or not our expression of faith actually is in line with the Bible. That's good kind of questioning. That's things that we should invite into our lives, but it, it calls into question the character and the nature of God. And I, I think I used to I used to say this, that God isn't afraid of your doubts. And I 100% believe that. He wants to address them head on. But I, I think there are too many people that have kind of maybe run with that mentality too far to the other extreme where they believe that doubting is healthy now. And we see this kind of progress. And we see so many people that once held tightly to the truth and confession of Jesus, simply let it go. And I, I struggle with this, friends. Because I've had friends that sat where many of you are sitting right now. And sat through similar sermons like this. And sang similar songs to what we just sung. And really felt the presence of God and encountered Him in a powerful way. That are not following Jesus today. You might be able to infer that I'm not a Calvinist by this message, but I've seen friends walk away from the Lord. I've seen them let go of their faith entirely. I've seen them start to maybe hold on with one hand and, and try to grasp the things of the world with another and it doesn't work and eventually that grip slips. They begin to be tossed to and fro by every popular mode of thinking to where there's no semblance of Christianity anymore and it breaks my heart. 
and I'm perplexed because I'm sitting here thinking and I'm, I'm asking the Lord, how do, we, how do we get there? How do we go from, from one morning singing about your goodness and professing faith in you to another completely disregarding everything that we once held so dear? I have to ask my, well, were they ever really saved? Did they ever really know you? These arguments have been fought amongst Christians for years, and I'm not interested in that debate today. I'm interested in how do I stay holding on firm? I'm interested this morning, how do I keep a firm grip on that confession of my hope, which is the fact that Jesus died and rose again? How do I stay rooted? How do I stay connected? How do I stay firmly secured to that? We recognize that he who promised is faithful. Oh, that's a whole message in and of itself. But I believe the key to longevity. We understand that this race that we're running, Paul would use this metaphor, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon, right? You guys have probably heard that cliche before, but it's 100% true. It doesn't matter how fast you take off. <laughs> it matters that you finish and you finish well. You know, I, I'm encouraged when I, when I get to talk to elder saints, those that have been serving Jesus 50, 60, 70 years those that are nearing the end of this race and I still see passion in their bones for Jesus. I was listening to, to a minister. Uh, I, I, I'm, in, I'm enrolled in these classes to kind of advance my education and I'm listening to uh, Dr. Gordon Fee at the moment. You guys may know who he is. You may not, but he's, a, he's an amazing theologian, uh, just, just brilliant thinker, and I got to listen to him, uh, one, of his, one of his teachings from when he was like 35 or 40. And he's, he's in his 90s now. But I, I got to listen to his whole teaching on 1 Corinthians, which is just amazing and awesome. And whew, it's really good. And he's young and he's full of energy and he's excited about Jesus. But then I got to go back and just, uh, just yesterday I watched an interview with him. And he's in his 90s now. And uh, I, I, he's struggling with Alzheimer's and those things, and he's approaching the end of his race. But he's still just as passionately in love with Jesus as he was 50 years prior when he was teaching this college class. And I'm sitting, something about that excites me. And I want to know, how do you stay connected? How do you stay holding on? How do you finish well? I want, I want it to be said of me, uh, I want many decades from now, Many, many decades from now, <laughs> I want to still be saying yes to Jesus. I want to still be passionately serving him. There's all this language out there that exists about, oh, God is going to do something with the youth of America. And there's raising up a generation that's going to usher in revival in these things. I remember that kind of being the common phrase 
that was kind of just thrown out when I was in youth group and those things. And I'm all for God doing something with the next generation. But, but I want you to think about wherever you are, God wants to do something with your generation as well. He's not retired you. He's not thrown you to the wayside. There is still, as long as there is still life, in your body, as there's still breath in your lungs, God's not finished with you yet. And you don't just get to the age of retirement and get to say, yo, this is where I get to sit back and relax and enjoy the golden years. God has purpose. He has destiny. He has plans for you. That is imperative that you finish well. Please hear me, friends. If, if that's you today, don't let these last years be the years that you let it slide and just kind of gracefully slip into paradise. Man, I, I get encouraged when I see people chasing after Jesus to the very end. Hmm. So in light of that, how do we finish well? So in light of Jesus' sacrifice, I believe the answer is found in verse 24 and 25. And I would say, let us pursue the community of God's people. And this is where holy provocation comes into play. I'm talking about being provoked. <laughs> Verse 24 and 25. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as is the manner of some but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. You see, I, I often hear this passage used in, uh, in kind of the admonishment from pastors to kind of tell his people, make sure you guys show up on Sunday morning. Uh, it's important. Don't forsake the, the gathering of the saints. Don't forsake the assembling of the saints, um, as is the manner of some. So don't forsake church. And I, I'm not saying that that's wrong. I actually, I actually think that there is huge validity in that interpretation. I just have a problem if we stop there because I believe that our modern expression of church is incomplete for the vast majority of people. I believe that we don't have an actual full understanding of what it is to be the ecclesia of God. I believe we have a, we kind of, we, we have a, a misconstrued definition of what it actually means to assemble ourselves together in the context of the church. And I know that it actually does mean a formal setting here. The, the word, the Greek word that is used is episynagoga. Uh, episynagoga. I should have just said it and pretended like I said it right. Uh, and, and probably only the few of you that speak Greek would have, uh, would have uh, corrected me. Um, but what that word means, that when it talks about the assembling there, is it actually denotes some sort of formality to it. They were actually probably talking about the weekly gathering of the saints in this. But I, I want you to notice here that there's so much more at play than just simply coming to church, right? I, I liked how um, Keith Green would say it all the time. Uh, going to church makes you as much of a Christian as going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger. I don't know if you guys ever remember him saying that, but I mean, it's like so true. Coming to church is not enough, but it's not without its merits. And uh, I believe 100% that there is validity in the interpretation that we should not neglect this gathering that you're in right now. 
But I believe that there's more to it than that. I believe being committed to the local church and including attendance is of utmost importance to the life of the believer. But we can't stop there. It's not enough just to go to church. We must consider one another. I want to focus in on here. Consider one another and we must stir up one another to love and to good works. Notice here, it doesn't say the pastor must stir up you guys to love and good works. Notice here, it doesn't say the pastor must exhort you. It actually uses this language, one another. And I think that that is so important that you have a vital role in the life of the church. Just as much as the guy with the microphone, or even, I believe in the ministry of the word of God. I believe that what we're doing right here, right now with me preaching, I'm not trying to toot my own horn or anything like that, but I believe it is vital and it is essential. But the church is more than just the pastor with a microphone. You understand that, right? You have a vital role to play in the life of the church. Regardless of if you've never been to ministry school, if you don't speak Greek or Hebrew, you know I don't. Uh, if you're a new Christian or if you're an old Christian, regardless of your personality, if you're outgoing or if you're introverted, you have a vital role where you are called to stir up one another, to exhort one another. This is the same as if you're a mature Christian or if you're a new Christian, if you're still growing or if you're almost arrived, which you haven't. There is the same command of scripture here. I want you to think about it this way. It's impossible to love in isolation. The word used for love here, when we're talking about stirring up love, it's that Greek word agape. It's all throughout the New Testament. It's one of Jesus's favorite words to use, right? It's not talking about, it's not talking about a romantic kind of love here. It's talking about brotherly love. And I love what Robinson says about this. He says, love needs stimulation and society. Faith and hope can be practiced by a, uh, by a solitary in a hermit cell or on a desert island. But the exercise of love is possible only in a community. That's crazy to think about. Love requires other people. To practice agape love, to practice brotherly love, the command of the Lord, you actually have to interact with other people. Wild, crazy, right? That's why when we look at the monastic fathers and some of these like the desert fathers that are uh, off practicing solitude so they can be more spiritual and more holy, I, 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 don't, I don't pretend to be the expert on all this stuff, but I see scripture here and I see... Uh, I see the command that's necessary for us if we're going to be fruitful, if we're going to be effective, if we're going to stay firm in the Lord, if we're going to hold fast of being engaged with one another. Do you know the word for saint in the Greek uh, is called hagios? And it occurs 68 times in the Bible. 67 of those 68 times it is used in the plural. Now, I'm sharing this because I have often heard it quoted that the word saint never occurs in the plural, or it never occurs in the singular in Scripture, but it actually does one time. 
That's in Philippians 4.21 if you want to cross-check this. But even in that one time where it's written in the singular, the context of it is in the plural. The ramifications of it is in the plural. It says, greet each saint for me, is what Paul is saying. So talking about multiple saints. (laughs) And so you'd be hard-pressed. You won't find an example of the word saint used in Scripture in the singular. Outside of that one, which is kind of, but it's still not really. And I just wanted to be honest with you there. And I want you to think of the ramifications of that. Because every time Jesus addresses the saints, when we read about the saints in the book of Acts, when we look throughout, uh, when we look throughout the New Testament, Paul's exhortation to the saints, we don't see it uh, exhorted to just one person individually, but we see the collective work of God, and I find that so encouraging. And so our call here is to stir up love, this, this holy provocation, because guess what? I don't always want to love people. I don't always want to do what I'm supposed to do. That's the nature of the flesh. But can I tell you, when I'm around people that are hungry for Jesus, when I'm around people that are real people, that really struggle, that have real mess, but they're still saying, yes, I want to serve Jesus, it encourages me to go after Jesus all the more. And I believe that that's why we need one another, a reminder that we're not in this thing alone. Guess what? If you have struggle in your marriage, you're not alone. If you're struggling with addiction, you're not alone. I guarantee we look around this room, the enemy's, the, the, one of the enemy's number one tools is to try to make you feel isolated. That whatever you're struggling, whatever you're facing is, is unique to you, but that's not the reality of the situation. This isn't a woe is me kind of mentality, but we look to the community of believers of people that have walked where we've walked, that have gone through what we've gone through, and we can find encouragement that we're not alone and that we can actually live through this thing. I don't always want to do what I'm supposed to do, if I'm being honest. I don't know if anybody else is like that, but uh, that's me a lot of the times. Can I tell you this last week when I just got to hang out with my friend? And there was something that provoked me to want to love Jesus more. I don't, those of you that don't have the privilege of knowing Daniel, the dude listens to more podcasts on the Bible than I necessarily think might be healthy. Um, <laughs> I don't really know. Uh, I mean, he just has such a hunger to be a student of God's word and to please him. He'll listen to podcasts from different Bible teachers on uh, three times speed. So he has an app that he's downloaded because uh, Apple, my iPhone, will only let me play sermon videos at two times speed. And so we're listening to these guys, and he can, he can understand them. He's trained his ear, but it sounds, that wasn't tongues. That was me trying to speak really fast. Um, and, and you'd listen to this, and you'd be like, what in the world? I mean, he's just eager to, to know more. And can I tell you, that provoked me to want to study the word more. 
Our conversations provoked me wanting to get into the Bible more. Our simple time of prayer together that was so refreshing provoked me to want to spend more time in prayer. Friends, I would so encourage you to spend time with one another outside of a formal setting like this on a Sunday morning because that's where real encouragement, that's where real exhortation comes from. Can I tell you that Daniel had words from the Lord for me, from his word that I needed to hear. And I'm so thankful to have a friend that would call me out. I'm so thankful for a friend that would speak into my life. And those relationships are so necessary. That really isn't the model of church today, though, is it? For the vast majority of people, our services are structured. Well, let's come to church. We'll sing some songs. We'll be entertained. Make sure the music is good or I don't want to come back there. <laughs> the preacher might preach a message. We sit and we receive. And then we go about our way for the rest of the week and we come back next Sunday. Now, that, I'm, not, I'm not saying that's necessarily us, but there's a... There's a lot of people that would check the mark of Christian on a survey that that's their lives. That's their extent of Christianity. And it's not Christianity at all. It's this consumer model of Christianity. It's got to come to an end if we're going to be fruitful, if we're going to hold fast, if we're going to see things change. You see, I don't believe forsaking the assembly uh, simply equates to not going to church. I believe there are plenty of people that come to church and sit in pews that still forsake the assembling of the saints. They take it lightly. They're not engaged with stirring one another up to love into good works. They're not engaged with exhorting or encouraging one another. Because enabled, in order to do that, relationship has to go beyond just saying hi on a Sunday morning. And we have a really long fellowship time. We have like three and a half minutes. I don't know if I've been to a service where it's been that long, like in the middle of a service. Uh, <laughs> But the reality of it is, that's not enough to get to know somebody. It's not enough to actually be engaged and involved in somebody's life beyond the pleasantries of just saying hello at church. And it's a necessity if we're going to grow, if we're going to stay rooted, if we're going to stay grounded. We have to stop viewing church simply as a place where we come to receive. Right? We, we hear that kind of expression all the time well I didn't I stopped going to church there because I just wasn't getting fed right or you know I I, I don't really like that pastor because I'm just not really getting fed and those things and uh, a reminder that only babies need to be fed if you guys knew that even my even my two-year-old can feed himself like <laughs> he will too he'll straight up like break into the fridge and start taking food gotta get a lock for that thing um, <laughs> But I would rather us to view our gathering. This is what I love about what Adam and Shelby are leading up uh, this, on not this coming Friday, but 
two weeks, three weeks? How, how do you do math? On the ninth. Uh, <laughs> I, I love the fact that they're, they're intentionally getting together with other people to engage in, in real life together. Because it's necessary if we're going to grow. It's necessary if we're going to stay rooted in Jesus. But I love this idea of, um, sorry, I hate the idea of coming church just simply to receive, to what can I get out of this? I would so love for our mentality to shift on coming to church on what can I give? And I'm not talking about an offering or anything like that. I, I, I want you to have the mentality when we gather together as the church, when we're gathering together with believers, when we're intentional about fellowship, is how is the Lord going to use me to encourage my brother or my sister today? I would love to have you coming to church, prayed up, filled up, spending time in the word with a word from the Lord for somebody. <laughs> to encourage them in the scriptures, to to pray for one another, to exhort, to admonish, to spur one another on to love and good works. I think some healthy competition might be be had. (laughs) Never mind. Uh, I'm not going to go down that road. Uh, That's the flesh. That's not the spirit. Uh, (laughs) Do you guys understand what I'm saying? I don't want us to have a a wrong mentality about why we gather and what we gather. Please come to the church. Please come to service expecting the minister to have a word of the Lord for you for that day. But don't let that be the extent of it. That doesn't have to be the only highlight of the day. Because I believe the Lord wants to use you to encourage one another. I believe the Lord wants to use you to stir one another up. Can I tell you this morning, Dustin came in and shared all about what the Lord had done over the last week while I was gone. And man, I was fired up. I was pumped up. I was stoked. I was provoked by the story that you shared about what God was doing. But he didn't stop there. He came over and he prayed for me when I could barely speak this morning (laughs) and prayed that the Lord would speak through me prayed for me. Can I tell you I was encouraged by that exhortation, Dustin? That's what we need. We need to understand that we're not here just to receive, but we're here to pour out. We're here to give as well. We conclude here, and he says, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. I think this is where it can grow kind of tiresome and you say, well, times are hard. Things are discouraging in the world right now. Jesus is coming back soon. And we see here that there is the, there is the exhortation from the author of Hebrews for us to take this call all the more seriously the closer we get to Jesus coming back. They lived in real understanding that the Lord was coming back. And to us, because we're thousands of years removed from this, it just kind of seems like an afterthought. But I I saw my brother over here this morning that had a pin said, Jesus is coming, right? I, I think it was you, sir, right? And I was like, yes, come on, because he really is. 
The early church had that ingrained in them. The Maranatha, that God come soon. Lord, come quickly, right? There's this mentality that they had that they lived in the reality of the Lord's return. And everything that they did was subjected to the fact that God was really coming back. And I want that to be real for us. Regardless of if he comes back today, if he comes back tomorrow, or if he comes back in, in a thousand years from now, I want to live my life in the mentality that he's coming back. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you want to check out more of our messages, find us on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. Just search Open Door Pagosa. Our ministry is made possible by the faithful generosity of people just like you. If you were blessed by this morning's message and want to partner with what the Lord is doing in Pagosa Springs, find us at opendoorpagosa.com. Here you can give and stay connected with everything we are doing as a church.